actually going to begin this part of our service with a scripture reading. And uh, Katie Delgado has agreed to read the text from Ephesians 2 that we're going to talk about this morning. So please welcome Katie Delgado. This is from Ephesians 2:11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you no longer are foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Thank you, Katie. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we get to be with you and in your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you for continuing to guide us and teach us about who you are and who we are and what we're supposed to be about in this life that you've given to us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear whatever it is you want to teach us this morning. Help us to be open um, and humble, listening for your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Have you ever been in a conversation where you're talking to somebody about something and you realize in the middle of the conversation, I have some very significant disagreements with this person. <laughs> I maybe didn't know it when I got into this conversation, but it didn't take that long and I'm realizing we might not see the world the exact same way. Raise your hand if you've been in a conversation like that. Okay, some of you. I've been in a few conversations lately where I, or I thought, our politics, our view of racism, our understanding of God, our understanding of business, our understanding of the Minnesota Vikings may not be, we may not be on the same page. And sometimes I'm wondering, I'm actually talking to myself as the conversation is happening, like what am I supposed to say right now? I'm from Minnesota. So one of the options for Minnesotans is to look at somebody and nod like this, and occasionally say, that's interesting, <laughs> right? I'm trying to teach my kids. There's Minnesota interesting, which secretly means 
That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. <laughs> and then there's regular person interesting. So you have to know which one you're talking about when someone says, that's interesting. Another option in the conversations is for you in a loud voice to just start yelling at the person about all the ways in which they're wrong and don't understand the world. And if you're from the East Coast, you might choose that route. Some of our New Yorkers are like, I wish some Minnesotans would yell at me. At least I would then know what they think. Or there's a more middle ground view where you might ask a question or two and say, I'm wondering about this or that, or how did you come to that conclusion, or tell me more about why you think this. How do we talk about our differences right now? How do we address the reality that we have a lot of people who think differently about how we should be addressing our current challenges right now? I've heard some people say that we live in a really divided time. Have you heard that? A really polarized time? And I, I think that's true. It feels really divided to me. But when you look back historically, you find there have been other really divided times for our, our country, the United States. And there have been lots of divided times in human history where people don't agree and end up fighting about things for all sorts of various periods of time. So we have a whole bunch of divisions at the moment. Now what? What should we do? We are in need of God's peace, are we not? Shalom, the word peace in Hebrew is shalom, and it is wide-ranging. It means the, the peacefulness of all of life. Not just one relationship or one community, but the whole of the globe needs God's shalom peace. We need peace with each other. We need peace with God. And so I want to ask this question because we're in the middle of a conversation called the Jesus-centered church right now at Mill City. What is the role of a Jesus-centered church in a time when there's so much division? And that's the question I hope we can tackle this morning. A little bit of background on this text that Katie read for us this morning. There is significant hostility between how the Bible refers to Jew the Jewish people and the Gentile people. You might just think about them as folks from the Jewish background and then sort of everyone else is considered a Gentile. So, so Jewish folks and non-Jewish folks. And the Jews saw themselves as exclusively God's people at that time. They were the only people who knew and worshipped the true God. And they looked down on the Gentiles. They looked down on them because they were people who were lost and they lived in a way that was against God's law and they didn't even know that and, and they're just um, heathen, so to speak. The Jews saw Gentiles as enemies, which oftentimes they were actual enemies and they were oppressing the Jewish people in various ways, preventing them from being the chosen nation that they believed themselves to be. And now the Gentiles saw the Jews as this strange group of people who insisted on worshiping one strange God and no other gods. And they saw the Jews as people who were potentially endangering the rest of, the rest of them because they would not do the kind of worship that the other gods required. And that could have negative consequences for everybody. The, the Gentiles thought of the Jews as these kind of backwards, socially backwards, culturally ignorant people who were stubborn and hard to deal with. And so we got tons of mutual judgment happening between these two groups. 
And that's the background for Paul writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, which is trying to be a Christian community of both Jewish and Gentile persons and figuring out what that looks like. So we might ask the question of, of this text, like what did God do in this situation where there's this level of division and hostility? What did God do to address that division uh, that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles? And here's the picture that we get from this text. I want to reread verses 14 to 18 from the message translation. So same text that Katie just read, part of it, uh, from Eugene Peterson's translation. It says this, The Messiah has made things up between us, meaning the Jews and the Gentiles, so that we're now together on this. Both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He, meaning Jesus, tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being. A new humanity, the NIV says. A fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace. And that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. I like this, I like this version. Uh, Dr. Peterson always puts it in a way that feels a little more normal language to me. What did God do? Put simply, Jesus made peace between the groups. Jesus says, destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. How did he do that? It says that Jesus took on the requirements of the law. When we hear the law, we mean the covenants that Israel had made with God over the previous centuries, like the Ten Commandments and other covenants, where they said, we will be faithful to God in these ways. And then they couldn't do it. It was hard for them to maintain that, that commitment. And so Jesus did those things on their behalf. But then instead of requiring everyone else to do the same things over again, it was like Jesus paid that debt, did those things, fulfilled those requirements, and then opened up the space for relationship and access to God to anyone from any background. And one of the key points of thinking about Jesus fulfilling Israel's um, covenants is that God originally intended Israel to be a chosen people that would have a reputation in the world so that all the other nations would come to know who God is by the way that Israel lived in relationship with them and by the way Israel worshipped God. But the default problem was that Israel kind of closed in on itself. And it started to think that the, the blessing and the worship and the knowledge of God was just for them and they just went into protective mode. And they had an us versus them mentality rather than an us for them mentality. And that's what's happening now. In Christian circles and in other circles, we are just bubbling up, protecting ourselves, having an us mentality rather than an us for them 
mentality. Jesus fulfills the covenants that God required, and then he invites everyone into the kingdom of God. Everyone. Doesn't matter what your background, your ethnicity, your gender, made no difference to Jesus. He would sit with anyone and tell them the good news that the kingdom of God had come near to them. And he would invite them to access relationship with God in ways that blew their minds because they assumed because of their health status or their ethnicity or their socioeconomic space or whatever that they could not be included in relationship with God. And so Jesus is making everyone mad by trying to teach them, no, the kingdom of God is for everyone. Not just a certain subsection of people or a subsection of religious leaders. And he made it clear that that invitation to come and follow him was for anybody who wanted to access intimacy with God and be part of the work that Jesus was doing in the world. And finally, how did Jesus tear down the wall of hostility? He fulfilled the law, he invited everyone, and then he gave up his life even for the sake of the people who were killing him. And so he demonstrated that the way to make peace is not to force peace on people the way that Rome did, but to actually vulnerably and humbly just give yourself up for the sake of others. And that's upside down from every leadership theory that existed at his time, including the, the, the theory that the disciples had, right? Like, we're going to win this thing back, we're going to reestablish Israel as a nation. No, Jesus says, I'm going to give up my life and I'm going to conquer death and come back from death so that anyone who trusts me and enters this kingdom doesn't even have to fear death. That's the good news. So it's really, really important to remember that the way that Jesus makes peace when there is division is by giving up his life for the sake of his enemies. Not condemning them and calling them idiots. Not constantly finding ways to suppress them or even just shut them up, but to figure out a way to love them self-sacrificially, so much so that it was hard for the person standing next to the cross to deny that this person was clearly the Son of God. I think the world is desperate for the church to demonstrate that level of self-sacrificial love so that they might know the God of the universe. Rather than the reputation that many of us Christians are giving God by the way we're behaving in the midst of division and hostility. In the temple, when Jesus died, there's a curtain that separates what's called the Holy of Holies. It's the space where they believed God's presence always was, and one dude can only go in there once a year. The curtain itself is torn when Jesus dies, like it's ripped from top to bottom, and the presence of God, as they imagined it, is opened up to whoever at that point. This is the good news about Jesus. And the Jesus-centered church is a church that gives of itself to the point where other people say, I want to know the God that those people worship. Think with me for a minute. What are our dividing walls of hostility today? Are there any? You got to laugh in the middle sometimes or it gets too serious. 
We've got political dividing walls of hostility, social, I just made a list. Economic, religious, ethnic, racial, global wars, climate change, and sporting events. All of those things. Deep levels of hostility. What does God want a Jesus-centered church to do right now? And I want to answer that question with just one simple sentence and just unpack it for the time I have left. What does, Jesus want, what does God want a Jesus-centered church to do in a time like this? I want to suggest that God wants us to remember who we are and live out of that identity. Remember who you are and live out of that identity. In Ephesians 2.19 we get this sense, consequently, is the way that that verse starts in the NIV, and it's building on the previous verses, which say, since we all have equal access to God and Jesus now, consequently, okay, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, speaking to the Gentiles. You're no longer outsiders. And what a powerful thing to say to a group who is trying to find their way in a new church community. You are no longer a foreigner, an outsider, a stranger, but here are the things that you are. This is your new identity in Christ. You are fellow citizens with God's people, full citizens in the kingdom of God with God's people. You are members of God's Household, and in the first century, the word household means like extended family. You've been adopted into God's extended family. You're part of the family now. And finally, you are part of God's temple. We're reimagining the temple from a physical building to a community of people that are built on Jesus as the cornerstone that are now where the Holy Spirit lives in that community, like our community now. So these are identity statements to the new group. You hear me? You are not a foreigner, outsider, or stranger, but you are a citizen of God's kingdom, member of God's household, and part of God's temple where God lives. Because of what Jesus has done, you have the opportunity to receive an identity from God that is different from any other way that you might think about yourself or the names that you all have been calling each other, which is in the beginning of this text, right? The, circum the uncircumcised, the circumcised, and all the other names that people call each other. Instead of those identifiers, here's a new way to think about your identity. I think discovering who you really are is one of the most important things you do in your life. The process of figuring out your identity is different for different people. But all of us, get a lot of messages in our lives that want to tell us who we are. Some of these messages are really helpful. Some of them are really hurtful and take us in the wrong direction. I get to coach basketball for, for some of my kids, and I remember this last year. There's a kid who was just learning how to play basketball, and after about three games, I saw that he was a really good player on defense, and so I got down on one knee because he's short and I'm tall, and I said, Ben, did you know that you're a really good defender? And have you ever done this with like a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old? Where you can actually see their eyes get really big? And what do they say when you tell them something like that? Anybody know? Exactly. I am? I'm a good defender? 
Like, dude, you're the best defender we have. You see where the ball's going to go. You know when one of your teammates needs help. You're always in a good spot. Like, you, you're really gifted on defense. You can't shoot at all, but <laughs> I left that part out. I left that part out. That would be in the hurtful category. No, but the, his eyes get big, right? And it's like someone helps you to understand yourself in a way that you test and you, you learn. Like, yeah, that is really something I do well or something. And I know that for many people in the room, as even in church contexts, they've had tons of really hurtful messages about who you are or who you're not or how you're included or how you're not included. And I'm, I feel terribly sad about that on a regular basis that people get the wrong messages, especially from church, about who they are or who they aren't. Now, here's what I want to say about this in this text. If one of the most challenging parts of living in the 21st century is trying to figure out who you are, then what a gift is it if God will tell you what your primary identity is? Doesn't mean that the other identities we're working out don't matter. I made a list of identities that I live out of all the time from son to brother to father to husband to friend to professor to pastor to business leader to tall white guy to basketball player to conservative with my liberal friends and liberal with my conservative friends and a, a, a genuine fair weather Vikings fan. Self-admitted fair weather. If they play well, I'm pumped. If they don't, I don't watch. Judge away. Judge away. We all have lots of different identities that we live out of, but I think one of the things the text is trying to say to us today is there's a primary identity, and you don't have to create your primary identity. Even in the authentic age where we're challenged to create our own authentic self, it's not up to you to figure out what your authentic self is. God will tell you. Jesus will give you that identity. And Paul's trying to tell this to the Ephesians here. He's saying, you've thought of yourselves primarily as Romans or Jews or circumcised or uncircumcised, but I want you to receive a new identity as children of God, citizens of the kingdom, members of God's family. Don't think of yourselves primarily as citizens of Rome. Think of yourselves primarily as citizens of God's kingdom. The text we read today says that Jesus died to create a new humanity and bring peace. In order to, for us to experience that peace, we have to remember who God says we are and live out of that primary identity. So to put simply for our context, instead of thinking of yourselves primarily in terms of your age or your job or your ethnicity or your gender or your sexuality or your political views, think of yourself first as a child of God, a citizen of God's kingdom, a member of God's family, and one of the places where the Holy Spirit lives. If you remember this, you will live differently than if you think of yourself first as a liberal or a conservative, or whatever other label you might have. Now, again, I'm not saying that these other identities don't matter. They're important. I am saying that they're not your primary identity. God gives us our primary identity, and we are invited to live out of it. So the most authentic way, in my view, 
to understand yourself is as someone who God created uniquely, that God designed you. Scripture says God knows the number of hairs on your head, that God knew you in your mother's womb before anybody else even met you. I have a professor friend at Luther Seminary who asks her class when she begins, who were you before everyone else told you who you were? I like that question. God knew who you were before anybody else even met you. And God designed you for relationship with God, relationship with other people, and a particular role to play in the work that God is doing to save the world. That's who you are. You might be wondering, maybe you're here today and this is the first time you've risked church in a little while, and for that we're grateful. You might just say, like, how does one even become a child of God? In First John chapter 1, it talks about how we are given the right to become children of God by believing and trusting in Jesus. So if you're not a Christian or you're just checking out church, like a step that you can take is to listen to the description I'm giving you of an identity that's based in how the Bible teaches us about who you are and why God created you. And no matter what mistakes or sins that you have made in your life or other people have done to you, God can bring forgiveness and healing if you ask for it. And so sometimes we teach people to pray and ask God, just have a conversation with God and say, I want forgiveness and healing and I want to accept this identity that you have for me. I want to accept the gift of being a child of yours and I want to live out of that, and I need your help, and I need a community to help me do that. And God will give it to you. It's a free gift, and that's good news, isn't it? Those of you who've been Christian for a little while, I have a suggestion for you. I don't know if you can do this and not destroy your mirror, so don't blame me. But write on your mirror, wherever you get ready for the day, this week, something like, I am a member of God's family. So you see it every day or on your refrigerator or whatever, wherever you go. I am a member of God's family or I am a citizen of God's kingdom or I am part of the place where God lives. Write it somewhere this week because you'll forget and I'll forget and we need the reminders, don't we? See yourself first and foremost as a Jesus follower when you are engaged with people who are different from you. Let me invite the band to come back up. I'm almost done. When you're in these awkward conversations with people this week and you're trying to figure out if you want to say, that's interesting. Just try to channel your identity as a child of God in that moment and try to see that person in front of you as somebody who's been created in the image of God and see if a different question or a different approach comes to you. Instead of thinking about how you're going to respond to whatever you disagree with, try to say, how would God want me to love this person right now? And let's see what else can happen. Maybe the dividing walls of hostility will start to come down. Life is different when you know who you are. Let Jesus tell you who you are. He went to great lengths to make peace. Peace between us, despite our differences. Peace between us and God, and peace in ourselves. 
Jesus wants to give us peace. Let us be peacemakers in a time when division is the norm. Let us give ourselves up for the sake of others in a way that helps other people in the world see who God really is. Let us be united as a diverse, multi-ethnic family who are united by our love of Jesus and our desire to be part of the work that God is doing in the world. Amen?